Hello and welcome back to the Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cammy Black. Um, we are doing another one of our lockdown book clubs. And this week, well, I say this week, we've got three episodes planned for this. So what we're looking at is the book Behind the Thistle, playing for Rugby for Scotland by David Barnes and Peter Burns with John Griffiths. Uh, what the book does essentially is it's, it's like a history of the of Scottish rugby through the eyes of the players and coaches themselves, um, which is quite a lot to get through. So what we have decided to do is we're focusing on a period of Scottish rugby uh, from when the blog was founded onwards. And what we thought we'd do is reappraise the Frank Haddon, Andy Robinson, Scott Johnson era, just to see, now we've, with the benefit of hindsight and the benefit of the time and space to actually look at it, was it as bad as we all remember it to be? So um, we're going to do that over three episodes um, and talk about the book in those three episodes as well because uh, we'll pull out lots of interesting quotes and tidbits from from in there as well as from the blog. So the first episode we'll be looking at uh, Frank Haddon, not his entire time, just the time he was in charge whilst we were running the blog. Uh, then we'll do one on Andy Robinson and then we will uh, round up with a look back at Scott Johnson's uh, caretaker role as head coach while he uh, kept the seat warm for Big Vern. Uh, joining me to try and uh, reappraise this dark era of Scottish rugby, we have Rory Baldwin. Hello. And John Anderson. Hello. I haven't said how people can get in touch with us for a while, so I feel like we should do that. Um, if people want to email us, uh, you can email podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. You can visit the blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. We are starting to get a few articles up there now. We're all a bit uh we've got a bit more time on our hands um you'll find the po- details of the podcast there as well um you can find us on twitter at scott rugby blog i'm at cammy black we're on facebook if you search for us um i think we're about the only nazi that non-nazis on there now probably i think that's how facebook works uh and we're on, in- <laughs> we're on instagram as well uh so you can find us there scottish rugby podcast when we remember to post anything we mostly on like we, we always say we're mostly on there just to stalk the players um so, um, I'll start with you, John. How did you? How did you, uh, Frank Haddon then? What was? How did you find this? Was it? Was this interesting to you to go back and look at it? Yeah, it really was. Um, and uh, yeah, looking looking back on the the, the had uh, looking back on all these these, these periods of Scottish rugby, we we kind of joke about it quite a lot on here that you know the dark old days, um, but. The, the thing with the, the Haddon era for me was I'd, I'd forgotten just how optimistic it was at the start, <laughs> <laughs> which possibly suggests how bad it was before then. But um, yeah, I, I was I was kind of transported back to a, a weird feeling of remembering just like being super excited about Scottish rugby under Haddon, which hasn't aged well. Um, Rory, the the Frank Haddon then years uh, the years then um, it's interesting because the it was a drunk Frank Haddon that inspired the blog, was it not? It, it's not not far off it. Um, uh, we started the site in two thousand and seven after a visit to the, uh, the World Cup in France, and we did encounter a drunk Frank Haddon um, on that on that tour. It wasn't until slightly it was it was after we got pumped out of the uh, the World Cup by Argentina that the, the the idea really, really kind of formed, but there was a few um, after it was after the 
the final pool game against Italy, the whole Scotland team were out sort of on the on the town in, in a wee, uh, wee French town called San Etienne. And uh, yeah, we were, we were, there was only really two kind of areas where there were any pubs and we'd kind of, um, we'd got autographs from everyone that was in the one bit. So we're walking a few streets over to the next bit and we encountered Frank Han about two in the morning. I think he was looking for his, looking for his sons and he was in very good, uh, very good form, which I, I, I suppose goes to illustrate that it was perhaps the kind of tail end of a slightly more, I don't want to say unprofessional, but less professional, if you know what I mean, yeah. era of rugby for Scotland. I mean, which shows that we're about seven or eight years behind <laughs> behind every, everyone else, perhaps. But I mean, 20, 2007, actually, before, we'd, uh, before we we started the blog, was actually a pretty big year, I think. I think the board, that was the year the borders, borders went, was it? Um, the Carruthers brothers take over Edinburgh was around then as well. That that didn't happen, um, and I think the the Six Nations that crazy um, world class fill five minutes of madness, um, where they gave away three tries in the first sort of ten minutes. That I think was two thousand and seven as well. It so was, yeah. it was probably. I mean, Haddon obviously came in as the as another yeah another great redeemer to take over after Matt Williams had um, had made a real mess of things and. I guess 2007 was maybe when, when I guess the tide slightly started to turn against turn against Frank, um, in terms of the kind of the opinion and and the results. We thought we'd start this by looking at the 2008 Six Nations, so we look at that as a chunk. This is the first time I think that we the the blog kind of started writing Rory. I think in 2000, so the blog would launch at the 2008 Six Nations. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, we pretty much we, we scraped in a few um, a few articles. I don't know if anyone was reading it in two thousand and seven, but yeah, we just uh, we just put it up to see see what uh, see what we could be, could be found. Yeah, and it's um, it's interesting that two thousand and eight campaign because aside from the sole win against England, it's all fairly bleak, John. Yes, yes, and it's. Um... The, the, the obviously not to kind of dwell on the World Cup, but obviously uh, the book mentions uh, in quite some depth the change of tactics that Scotland sort of went went through from Haddon's kind of first few years, and they were kind of playing a wider game to the we all remember the kind of infamous beefcake. Uh, Situation in 2007 where they turned up looking um, thoroughly conditioned, um, and that continued in 2008. And it it wasn't clever. It wasn't very clever. Uh, and aside from the Calcutta Cup game, which probably required that type of game, we were thoroughly outplayed <laughs> across the board. Yeah, and I think that, Rory was that reflected in the in the blog at the time because you've got. Well beaten by Ireland, well beaten by France in the opening game. I think that the the Italy game, even be, beaten by Italy as well. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah. This isn't a vintage Scotland side as much as people maybe may fondly remember that Calcutta Cup win. I hadn't really. I think until I look back, I hadn't realised how bleak the rest of the Six Nations was that year. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think two thousand and six was probably his peak um, when they beat England and France. That was Sean Lamont's. Uh, where he scored the try at the back of the rolling mall. I think that was probably a more impressive Calcutta Cup one than in 2008. But I mean, um, yeah, I had a wee look through the, the blog articles. I mean, the things we were complaining about were TMOs shafting Scotland, <laughs> poor, 
poor away form, players not playing for the shirt, inconsistent selections at half-back, and the wings not getting enough space to work in. And uh, we're also c- complaining slightly, only slightly seriously, that um, Chunk Jacobson was our best attacking player. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, he was. He was taking the ball at first receiver quite a lot just to try and get things moving, you know. Um, so, I mean, I think... Since 2007, obviously some things have changed. The, the back players come on leaps and bounds, but there are some things that were dogging Scotland that, then that are probably um, kind of still still dogging them today. In the book, John, there's a bit about it's uh, Mike Blair talking about the Calcutta Cup win, and and almost and this kind of somehow makes it worse. He's talking about how England, England effectively lost that game. Yes, it was a good defensive performance from Scotland, but England turned up to that game expecting to win. And they turned up expecting to play the same way they played before and to still run out comfortable winners. But as Mike Blair points out, they'd lost in 2006. So it was as much down to lack of preparation by England, which which was the interesting thing from the book as it was to do with anything Scotland did. Yeah, he talks about the, them not adjusting their game plan um, to, to the conditions. Um, and it's interesting because, again, the parallels are, um, the parallels are there with um, the the historic um, Calcutta Cup uh, win, um, where where Finn ran riot and Nigel Owens um, was given obviously had decided he wasn't going to referee the breakdown um, that day like like every other day that he does, um, and England weren't prepared for that either, and it, it's it, it's quite. It's quite interesting to see, and you know, obviously, as you say, he says about them some of the, some of the players had lost in two thousand in the same sort of way, um, and it's it's just interesting to see those. You know, we get frustrated as, as Scottish fans. We always shout about people, the you know, how many lessons are we going to learn before we actually just make something work? Um, but surely, if you're an England fan, you must be thinking the same. Yeah, after that, then he takes the interesting thing for me from the book. Rory, I don't know whether we picked this up on the blog at the time, is that in the summer tour, he takes and uh, Frank Haddon takes Andy Robinson and Sean Lanin with him. Yeah, um, I think after the after the the, the sort of lackluster Six Nations, um, his uh, I think his his coaches at the time there were Alan Tate and George Graham, so they were uh, they were swapped out for Robinson and Lanin uh, on the summer tour. And later in the year, they were replaced by Mike Brewer and Graham Stedman. I guess Mike Brewer was a kind of prototype Vern Cotter, kind of grumpy Kiwi was going to get the forwards moving, and Graham Stedman was next rugby league guy working on the, the defence. Um, yeah, so it's interesting though because it's a little bit, um, it's the sort of it's the early signs of the kind of SRU coaching roundabout thing that we've seen where they're trying to shuffle the same people around to get them experience in different places before deciding what to do with them rather than just wholesale bringing in new new people so they were you know using the resource that they had there in, in Robinson and Lenin who were in charge of the pro teams at the time yeah and it's interesting in the book John because they talk that the players that were on that tour talk about how much they enjoyed it it's not always an enjoyable thing as a Scotland player going away on summer tour in, in the past but but there's a lot of there seems to be a lot of good memories of that tour. They lost, I think, they lost the first 
test to Argentina. I've had the results in front of me and I've lost them now. Um, they lost the first test but won the second one. And John Barkley says it's one of the most enjoyable games he's played for Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do wonder as well. I think Rory's touched on a very, very good point that Robinson and Lenin were their club coaches. And, you know, at that point, it was still the case that a lot of the players, uh, you know, the. Um, again, the book touches on the, the Matt Williams project, you know, um, Scotland or whatever he called it. Um, you know, players were hadn't continued that, not not to the extent that Matt Williams had introduced, but um, hadn't was picking players who were based in Scotland. And you know, when you've got your, your club coaches who know you know you really well, obviously work with you day in day out. Um, I do wonder if it just kind of helped the atmosphere, but. The other thing at play is, if you win games of rugby, it makes it makes such a difference. It's funny how the happiest teams are the teams that are winning. Um, I, I wonder uh, that's the, the chicken and egg, isn't it? Yeah. The, the I mean, the next thing is that the, the the that autumn series then, Rory, on the blog, because on on this in the book, you read it as an it's it, it's it's put forward as an unheralded success, particularly for the Scottish pack. Against the against the All Blacks in South Africa. I mean that 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 South Africa game in the two thousand and eight was, it was close. It was ten fourteen. Scotland lost. The New Zealand game was thirty two six, and everyone talks about it as the great lost, the great missed opportunity to beat the All yeah. Blacks. But we lost thirty two six, and I don't, I don't remember it being that. I remember the South Africa game being an impressive performance. Yeah, but I, I, I don't mean, really I, recall the 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 South the All Blacks game as being the great missed opportunity that the book suggests it might. Well, the the, the quotes from the players that were there at the time suggest it might have been. Yeah, I mean, I I think it might have been around this time that I wrote my wrote an article saying that we should never play New Zealand ever again because what's the point? <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if it was referring to that game. If, if it was referring to that game, then obviously I read it um, a lot. A lot more differently than than everyone else. If that was the uh, if that was the the way it went, it went down. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it was uh, it was it was a uh, an interesting interesting period. The the players that he was picking from were it was fairly fairly consistent. But I think he just didn't quite have the uh, didn't quite have the the numbers. I mean, he did get John Barclay's international career started and it's probably um probably credit to him that he got it started when Barclay was still pretty young. Um there are there are, I mean probably each of the coaches has kind of one player that they got that they kicked off who's gone on um to be really successful, you know, from a young age and, and the problem I guess to that point and certainly our a frustration I remember um through a lot of the years of of writing on writing on the site was you know, we're seeing this. You know, this guy playing for Edinburgh, Glasgow. He's great. Why don't they give him a? You know, get him, get him a Scotland cap. He's, and there were a lot of, a lot of instances through those years of guys maybe getting their chance a bit too late, and not, uh, not necessarily um, bringing bringing through the the young the youth. I think the probably the overriding theme of of these. Um, these uh, pods certainly until we get up to the later periods of Scott Johnson will be um, trying to find trying to find the talent trying to or trying to trying to grow the talent grow the depth because it was it was quite obvious that it it wasn't there and certainly when players players uh, coaches came in you know they were 
struggling with the selections because they were, you know, it wasn't obvious who should play in several key positions, like ten, number eight. Yeah, because I mean, we're still around this time playing Chris Patterson at ten occasionally, John, which is a. <laughs> I don't think it was ever. It was never his strongest position. I don't think. No, no, and it's odd remembering that. It's funny because obviously with the blog starting in, in that period and, you know, obviously social media wasn't, wasn't the, you know, Twitter was barely, barely alive. Most of us wouldn't have had it by that point. And just, I remember having debates about Patterson at 10 even then. Uh, so I can only imagine what it would look like if it was to have, well, I can imagine it was Hog at 10, isn't it? Um, but yeah, it was... The, the arguments of, like, he's, he's our best player, so we should get the ball in his hands earlier, it just strikes me, again, as such a uh, unprofessional thought. It's like you're coaching school kids. Like, like you do that, it's, it's, you know, mini level. You go, you're our best player, we want you to have the ball. But that's because there's no structure. <laughs> you don't do that at international level. Um, and, yeah, it, it for me, yeah, he struggled, and then of course he went. He went a couple of years after that. He went down to to Gloucester um, to from Edinburgh to to play ten. They, they they hired him as a ten, and that that ended pretty rapidly, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, because well, that's around the time when he went down. There, he wasn't. He, he kind of basically stopped getting game time. The only game time he was getting was with Scotland, and because yeah. Scott, as you say, Rory, because Scotland don't then have the players coming through, then you've got no option but to select players, your best players who aren't getting any game time in England. Yeah. Which is utterly crazy. Yeah, it was. I mean, that's something that you said a point there about uh, Haddon picking, picking the guys who were, um, who were maybe, you know, playing closer to home. I mean, I certainly uh, came across a few posts um, bemoaning the likes of um, Alistair Strakosh not getting enough of a chance. Um, certainly, kind of maybe two thousand and seven, and the kind of the very early stages of the site, there were still um, it was guys like uh, Simon Taylor, or possibly Ali Hogg, who were maybe towards the tail end of their international careers. Um, although obviously Ali Hogg went on to still play for Newcastle for donkeys years after that, um, and uh, Jason White being another one, you know the. He, he was almost being picked a, a bit on reputation and the likes of Strakoshi were playing, you know, week in, week out down at Gloucester. Uh, Rory Lawson was another one who was, you know, banging for him and, and wasn't getting picked, um, you know, that bit later on maybe for him. But Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing about the book is just how much of a, the, the, that, that autumn series was felt to be Scotland's big chance because then we get the, the Six Nations and it's, uh, there's a lot of things that, 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 that 2008 Open Series also is what led to a decent Scottish representation in the 2009 Lions, which, although John Gatlin was was involved in, was not head coach, which may also have helped. Yes, Gatlin's law was not uh, it was not <laughs> formed by that point, was it? Um, yeah. Although I find a uh, find this squad announcement post, I'm also. I was quite surprised by how much Lions coverage there was. I mean, I was writing match reports on practically every game, even the ones with no Scots involved. Um, but there were only two in in the original party. Yep. Um, 
Blair and Blair and Ford got got in uh, as a result of injuries, or possibly players getting banned for gouging or something. So it was only Murray and Hines, I think. Hines, I think Hines was on that one, was he? Mm. Was Simon Taylor in that one? Or was that the one before? Uh, it was the one before. Yeah. Which Custer went on as well, I think. Yeah. So uh, it's it's the next. So it's, it's the 09 um, Six Nations it does for Frank Haddon. Yep. Essentially. Um, but it's not. I mean, overall, it's not a bad. Actually, looking at the results, it wasn't. I don't think it was a. It wasn't as bad as the previous one. They beat Italy twenty six six fairly convincingly. They go down to England and I mean I remember watching that England game in a pub, the twenty six twelve England game, and it again it wasn't. You could see signs of. I think that this was kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of spend some time looking back at this year. You could see signs of something. I don't know what that something was. I think at that point you had Max Evans <laughs> and Tom Evans coming through, maybe a bit more yeah. exciting attacking players. It wasn't. There had been. He had moved on from like John was saying earlier, the bulk of. The, the the idea of just having big guys, but maybe I suppose the story is, um, John, that Scotland are, uh, have always been slightly behind everybody else in that regard. You know, when the the everyone else are bulked up, and then we take our time to get there. Everyone else starts playing, deciding that we need to play running rugby as well, and we are still playing defensive, turgid yeah. rugby. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I think that that kind of sums up. That this era of uh, Scottish rugby for me, it, we we had an absolute identity crisis, and and I'm just reading kind of you know Phil Godman here is talking about the the uh, the squad for the 20, uh, 20, uh, 2009 Six Nations. And he's talking about the backs. Uh, he's got Tom Tom and Max Evans, Sean and Rory Lamont, Simon Danielli and Simon Webster, Nicky Walker, Hugo Southwell. So I mean, you've still got you've got all. <laughs> You've got the flair of the Evans brothers. You've got kind of both the, the Lament brothers were a bit, you know, Sean was certainly moving towards brute force at that point. Danielli wasn't a small guy, let's be honest. And Nicky Walker was a limited rugby player who got by a lot in physicality. So we, we were still kind of mixed up on what we were doing. And it kind of showed, like, there was periods of games where we looked brilliant and I'm sure we'll probably mention the Wales game quite soon yeah. <laughs> um, but well, well, like so well, Mike Blair's taught in, in the book talks that the, the squad genuinely believed they were dark horses for the championship but then we all I think we all, all part of us always believes that every yeah. year right? yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean we're, we you know we always it's the, the classic thing that you go into it with ridiculous optimism and then you that survived well the best they play Best plans survive, uh, you know, never survive contact with the enemy, they say, or Six Nations version is Scottish optimism and never survives the first 20 minutes of the Six Nations. Um, <laughs> I mean, is it, it's interesting to, to look at the sort of the back division that they were, that they played in that, in that squad. And you're having to make, uh, I mean, Rudy Jackson at that point was pretty young. Um, I think he was maybe even uncapped. Yeah, he was uncapped going into 2009. Yep. So you're looking to make a back division out of Phil Godman or Dan Parks playing fly half probably, and then Ben Cairns, Nick DeLuca, Max Evans, or Graham Morrison in your, as you you know as your midfield, and that's yeah, 
that's uh, I I don't actually remember being as frustrated by Graham Morrison as my articles would would write, but <laughs> yeah. he seemed to. Um, I always thought that I I always thought that I thought he was okay, but actually it turns out I didn't think he was okay. At all. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it it was it was frustrating. You know, the the Scotland teams of that era, they would they would be in games, they would kind of drift in and out of games, and but they they would never quite. Uh, never quite get get over the line well um, the, the interesting thing of course is that dan parks is off the scene at this point because he has the he has this kind of 18 months exile yes where due to off-field issues and i think he leaves glasgow and goes Carl, will play for cardiff, cardiff. cardiff. goes goes to play for cardiff Blues. yeah i think he went to cardiff and he doesn't come back in again until he doesn't get recalled till 2010 so at this point you've got what? He's in the 2009. Is he? Oh, yeah. He was in the squad. There were some. Yeah, yeah, he's there was right, a couple of the match, like three or four games in a row. He, was he it in, 2000, in 2009? 2009, early 2010, yeah. He's, he's, he's sure. listed in the squad on, on Wikipedia. There was, but you're right, there was a period where he disappeared and then came back yep. and then possibly disappeared and came back again. He's like, I th- he seemed to retire, like he retired halfway through. Um, one of Scott Johnson's six stations. Think, it's not. Me. It's Andy Robbins. We'll come to that. It's yeah. Andy. <laughs> he he retires after one game of a Six Nations campaign, which we'll come to when we get yeah. to the Andy Robinson uh, episode. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think like you said, Rory. Um, you know, optimism or plans don't survive first contact with the enemy, and in yeah. this case, they don't survive Jeff Cross's first contact with Lou Burns' <laughs> knee. Yeah. <laughs> In the Open yeah. Wales game, which is the infamous. I mean, it's you know this goes down in in Scottish rugby folklore as one of the great Scottish rugby moments of Jeff Cross clattering <laughs> Lee Byrne and being sent from the, like being yellow carded as he was stretched from the field. Yeah, I thought I, mean, no, I thought I'd, I thought he'd come on as a substitute and he'd only be on the field for ten minutes, but I, but that's he started the game. Yeah, he came, he, yeah, it didn't didn't last very long at all. Um, yeah, I mean, there just seemed to, there seemed to be something about Wales, which could maybe stems back to that frustrating game, but you know the the crazy game um, that we've just we 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 think we always think we can beat them, and then we do something stupid to uh, to shoot ourselves in the foot. So in order to show that we're not that team anymore, we do something even stupider. I mean, Hoggy, Hoggy did something in you know in probably his first or first or second Six Nations got red red carded. Um, obviously, Jeff Cross. In fact, did Phil Godman not? He got yellow carded for Godman jumping up. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, Finn even had a yellow card against Wales as well. Yeah, for jumping into someone. Even the yeah, sorry, the great, taking, the taking someone in the air um, whilst competing for the ball. Hashtag Finnissant. Yeah, that was yeah. That was the, that was the start of Finnissant. That because it got upgraded, <laughs> that got upgraded to a red <laughs> appeal, <laughs> which is discussed in the book. We're not covering that era because it's Vern Cotter era, but that that is there is a bit in the book where they talk about that, um, which is quite interesting. But yeah, it's not. Yeah, the, I I think this is the thing is that even in the book you've got um, you've got Phil Godman talking about how really that Scotland let themselves down in two thousand and nine rather than it being being beaten by better teams that they, they all felt they had this this chance or this opportunity after having a yeah. what they saw as a good autumn. But looking back on it now, I'm not entirely sure if it was well, I think it was obviously a false dawn because we can see that with the benefit of of hindsight. But 
were we even, well was the blog that excited about Scotland at this point Rory um that's a that's a good question I would have to I would have to go back and look but I'd imagine that as usual that was back in our um less jaded days so I would imagine <laughs> we were probably again we were probably pretty excited around about the start of the start of the tournament and then maybe uh, not so much after that after that first Wales game yeah um so that's what does it for Frank Haddon because then he he goes at the end of yeah. at the end of 2009 um the um the, the interesting thing i think in the in the book is everybody i think it's mike blair if i can find the quote talking about um that he felt bad for a lot of the flack that frank hadn't copped towards the end he said it, it, blair kind of puts it down to the 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 kind of run of injuries they had but he talks about the fact how much he'd built scotland up from the matt williams era and i suppose there is that isn't there that 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 hadn't if nothing else, he got some good wins. And there's another quote I think of, I can't remember who it is. Um, it might be later in the book actually, where I think Chris Patterson says in 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 the 2000s, Scotland beat every top team except for the All Blacks, mm. which is and, and and presumably most of that that most of that's post that that wasn't Matt Williams that did that. So it's quite. No, I no. think if we can credit Frank Haddon with anything, it's going to be kind of building Scotland back up again, John. Yeah, yeah, I think, and uh, that was that was the, the again the, the thing I, I sort of you, you kind of become stale as a Scotland fan sometimes, and you, you know, particularly around that period, you were you're kind of excited, and you know, the hope that kills you um, was was still still a mantra for us. But looking back on it, yeah, you you do have to. You do have to put it in the context of just how bad the the Williams era was, and and let's be honest, a lot of the players that continued into into Frank Frank Cadden's tenure, a lot of those players were still they they, they, they were follow-ons from Matt Williams. You know, a lot of the players continued and stayed on. Some of them probably too long, but um, it was you know it was a big challenge for them to rebuild these guys because I mean the stories coming out of you know again you've you've read the, the Matt Williams section the stories that the players tell it was not a it was not a happy place to be and he changed that now yeah results didn't necessarily go his way and I think I think there's a degree of maybe rose tinted specs with some of the players looking back on results, saying we should have, would should have, could have, would have won these games when it's not they're not they weren't that close, and as far as I remember. Um, but credit where it's due, you know, Haddon did take a, a bunch of broken players and maybe rebuilt them slightly, and he introduced the Evans brothers into the Scotland side, which kind of set the blueprint for how we wanted to, it started to change how we wanted to play. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, looking, looking back at Haddon's overall record, Rory, he, he, Scotland beat everybody in the six nations under his stewardship, not, not within a single championship, unfortunately, but, but yeah. nevertheless, <laughs> he, he did over the course of, of, of his time in charge of Scotland, he, he did beat everybody and, and beat England twice. Yeah, I mean, he, he got um, 
you know, he got a third place in the Six Nations in, in 06. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's always going to be the guy that, that cheered everyone up following um, following Matt Williams. I mean, there was obviously a clamour saying, we've got to get a Scottish coach, you know, somebody that understands the player that can... And he, you know, he delivered that kind of, that, that bounce after after Williams. And he did prove some of those points. But I think possibly towards the end as the other nations were maybe kind of pulling away from us you know you've got Warren Gatland coming in and starting to you know starting to affect some change with Wales um the other countries are, are moving on a bit and we're saying okay we've got a Scottish coach in, in place and he does understand the players he knows them and you know they respect him but at the same time he's not necessarily getting the best out of them out of them and you know, is there something to be said to get a more kind of, I guess, a professionally experienced coach? Yeah, and, and that's what we, that I guess that's what we started to see with the, you know, with the the, the kind of moves that followed. Yeah, and we'll talk. We'll, I'm going to talk about brief before we we we, we go into Annie Robinson the next episode. I am going to talk about some of the candidates that were were, were were being touted for the job at the time. But John, I mean, I don't. You can't really point to. I don't think. Um, kind of issues with Glasgow and Edinburgh around this time because both teams I mean well Andy Robinson did quite a good job with Edinburgh and Sean Lanine was building something at Glasgow so there was the players you have the likes of the Evans brothers I suppose so so at the, at the end of the Haddon era there were players coming through of a, of a reasonable quality yeah yeah, I yeah, I think I think at that point in particular Glasgow were very much at the beginning of uh a build or a rebuild. Uh, is it? Can you say rebuild if you've never built before? I suppose you yeah. can't really. Um, they, they were beginning to, you know, Lenin had changed the whole culture of of Glasgow rugby at that time, and you know the, the players coming through, they were exciting, but it's that it, it takes time. It takes time for that. You know, you've got these professionals who expect standards and you know you've got your guys like Al Kellick who was you know starting to come into the fold at that point but you know we we rely on those those experienced players who've seen things and won things and you know been there to teach young players how to do that and uh, sadly there's always a lag with that now Edinburgh were they were doing some different things they had a few more kind of foreign imports at the time um Blackadder was was there or had maybe just finished up there but they, you know, they 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 had more of a culture of winning at the time, but it still hadn't kind of translated to international scene. And it's that idea of you know we always talk about the difference between club club rugby and international rugby, and you know you see certain players take to it, you know they 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 go straight from the club game and they just look man or born, and then other play, players it takes time to find their feet. And sadly, some players who great club players just never cut it at an international level and I think there was just too many of the club players at the time who just couldn't necessarily get up to that international standard but there was enough for us to be competitive at times yeah 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 I mean I had I had high, very high hopes for you know Karen Ben Cairns Nick DeLuca in the centre um, but yeah never just I don't know never really got a chance to get together at international level but yeah never quite you definitely had high hopes for Nick DeLuca. I'm, I'm scrolling through some of the old blog posts as well. Yeah, yeah, big, big fan. 
like I liked him much more than than Graham Morrison. Maybe I was just being contrary because everyone used to slate the poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> very, very different players, let's say. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the, the, the kind of Mike Blair set kind of rounds it up by saying that the they didn't. It, it, the level of abuse that went Frank's way was totally unmerited. He did all he could to help us win, but it wasn't him out there making the mistakes that meant we ended up losing in those final games of his tenure, which is kind of like yeah. plus a change for Scotland. <laughs> it's never the coach yeah, out there I making su- the mistakes. We'll, we'll revisit that one in the uh, the next episode. <laughs> what's What's interesting though, and this is uh, obviously it's it's David Barnes and Peter Burns writing the this little in between the quotes. There's kind of little kind of time hop. Um bits where they talk about the context of what was happening at the time and, and I have to this completely passed me by but the two of the names being touted were one was Jake White who gets I think even now gets touted for every international job did, yeah. yeah um but the other one was Eddie Jones can you <laughs> <That's> imagine, right. <laughs> where, can you imagine? <laughs> where we, the great we redeemer. I know can you imagine the the, the, the press conferences so no, I, yeah. So yeah, Eddie Jones was a candidate for the job, but they went with Andy Robinson, um, and and that, as they say, is history because he was, as Mike blesses, he he was the coming man. He was he he changed the culture at Edinburgh. Actually, when you read about this time, and we'll, we'll probably come into a bit more his time at Edinburgh, which we probably cover in this pod before we go on to talk about his time at Scotland. It's I, I I've formerly highly thought of English coach coming into Edinburgh and changing the culture. Yeah, and you wonder well, where, 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 yeah, that kind of echo has well, echoes of caucus. Well, if you're if you're looking for a, another a, a echo of the past, I found this uh, gem on a piece about uh, after the 2008 Six Nations when Haddon had his coaching shuffle, and he uh, swapped out uh, Tate and Graham for uh, Robinson Lean, and uh, Al, the uh, the founder, the co-founder of the blog, um, he wrote a piece on that. He said. The players need to look at their own level of performance, but surely the man in charge of coaching the backs, which in this case they hadn't, needs to take responsibility for picking the wrong players, the wrong tactics, and failing to have any sort of game plan. Which uh, sounds like a familiar criticism of the Scotland head coach. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, the other, the interesting thing is that, that in 2009, of course, Haddon um, obviously realises he needs some help coaching the backs. So... Um, he appoints Gregor Townsend as his backs coach. That's right. As he's, as Enter a, stage right. Essentially, as the attack coach, having been uh, assistant coach for the national A side. So it's, yeah, it's. This is kind of this is the start of Gregor Townsend's coaching journey. Is the tail end of of well the, yeah. the last the last roll of the dice because before this I think he'd just been working in this stuff like a coaching college. I think when we talked about his autobiography, he goes off and works in a as like for Sports Scotland, doing coaching and doing a bit with the SRU. He'd been assistant coach for Scotland A at one point, um, but then yeah, comes in as a as a backs coach with with no real no pedigree behind him, John, at this stage, other yeah, than his Gregor Townsend. Other than I, other than his uh, gold trotting, uh, barnstorming, flaky awesomeness. <laughs> um, I, I think, yeah, I think you know, ten years from now, you know, backs coach for Scotland, 
it'll be it'll be mighty fun, and we'll be we'll be looking at we'll be doing another review pod, I mean, like or whatever whatever the medium is at that time, um, and it'll be like, <laughs> oh, missed, yeah. Did we misjudge Poor Townsend? Yeah, did we misjudge Townsend <laughs> now that? Now we've got um, Finn Russell taking everyone on a lads weekend to Ibiza as pre-season training. <laughs> well, apparently we did misjudge Townsend, didn't we? Or or, or someone did. Um, the, the case of mistaken identity on Twitter, of course. Yeah, well, Ian Hayes has been called out for uh, hating on Gregor Townsend on Twitter this week, much to Ian's upset. Bless Such him. a hater, I honestly. Um, I think that kind of rounds off the Haddon era quite nicely. It was... There were... There were some good results, and he took the team forward from Matt Williams. But I don't. I I think we can safely say it wasn't going anywhere when he left. Is that fair, yeah. Rory? Yeah, I mean, I think um, off off the field, I picked up on a few things that were um, that were were interesting. Obviously, I mentioned the the kind of coaching, starting to see kind of coaches being sort of in a maybe in a I guess in a pyramid and being shuffled about with the aim of moving them all up, up the pyramid to the, the Scotland job at the top. That was the kind of start of seeing seeing that, at least in, in my awareness it may have gone on before. But also the uh, McPhail scholarship started in two thousand five uh, with Ooh. John Barkley going that was on his on his watch. So again we start I mean early days I think probably um, later regimes brought in more emphasis on improving the kind of grassroots the academies and so on but uh, yeah I think it was the, the start of that um, whether he'd identified that or someone else had identified that um, I don't know but um, yeah I mean I think uh, he he did he did uh, pretty well with, with what he had but I think probably realised that what he had wasn't quite as uh, quite as good as it needed to be so. yeah okay well that's it for the Frank Haddon podcast you can join us next week when we'll be uh, looking at the Andy Robinson years which will be uh I don't want to say it's more fun. Um, it'll be something else. Let's say that and see if we can see if we can work out what Andy Robinson uh, contributes to Scottish rugby. But for the moment, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Rory and John. Goodbye. Goodbye.